0: God's word proclaimed from this text, we will sing in response, hymn eighty one, stanzas one, two, three, and four. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What would you do if your daughter had died and then she was brought back to life again? What would be the first thing you did if you were blind and now you can see? What would you tell people if you had been demon-possessed and couldn't speak for years and suddenly you can speak freely? Well, one songwriter who, who writes songs from the perspective of Bible characters, he writes about the father in verse 18, the, the ruler of that, that girl who had died. Luke tells us his, his name is Jairus. And this songwriter chose to call the song, I've Got to Tell Somebody. It tells the story that we read of in, our, in, our, in Matthew 9, and it ends with Jairus and his wife with their hearts torn in two. And you might wonder why, since their little girl had been brought back to life again. But you see, Luke writes in his account that Jesus had instructed them they were not to tell anyone what had happened. But they, he imagines, just want to run out and tell everybody about Jesus and what he has done, because their little girl was dead, and now she's alive again. And verse 26 of our text in Matthew tells us that it seems like Jairus and his wife probably did not listen to Jesus' instructions. Because we read there that the report of this went throughout all that district. And they weren't the only ones with this conundrum. In verse 27, Jesus heals two men from their blindness, and this time we read that he actually sternly warns them in verse 30. See that no one knows about it. But they, says verse 31, went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. These people, you see, they just had to tell somebody. Even though Jesus had had told them to keep their mouths shut, what happened to them was so amazing they couldn't. So what about us? Do we have anything worth telling people about? Should we tell people about it? Do we tell people about it? That's one of the questions that we'll answer as we study our text this afternoon. We'll see about all the different kinds of lost sheep in the Lord's harvest that we read of in our text. And we'll see three things from the three sections in our text. We'll first see that Jesus heals our blindness. Secondly, that Jesus heals our muteness. And thirdly, that we have to go and tell somebody. So in verse 27, as we begin our text, Jesus is traveling uh, through the Through the countryside, and two blind men are following him, crying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And that they would cry those words, Have mercy on us, is understandable enough. Jesus in Matthew has has healed blind people before, and so they're asking Jesus to take pity on them and heal them from their blindness. But that they call him son of David is quite remarkable. This is a messianic title. It means that the men somehow knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And these men, they're they're blind, but ironically, they can see something about Jesus that that no one else in in Jesus' entire ministry so far has seen. They see that this man is God's Messiah, that, that he's the promised descendant of David. He would be king over Israel forever. And Jesus, by healing these men, He's giving a picture of how He needs to and how He does heal everyone who comes to Him. Because whenever we see blind people in Scripture, it is a reminder that all of us are by nature blind in sin. That we too, we miss what is obvious. That that God created the world, that He is the one to whom we, we owe everything we have, including our allegiance and our obedience. And how many times don't we stubbornly, deliberately, blindly refuse to do what God requires? But our text reminds us that Jesus heals every blind person who believes. Whoever comes to him like these men, crying out for mercy, and recognizes that he is God's Messiah, that he is the Christ, the one who would be sent to save the world, to save us. And Jesus, when they come to him, Having made this cry of, of faith, really, he, in a sense, he, he tests their faith. And he asks them, are you, sh- are you sure in what you're saying? Do you believe that I am able to do this? And, and they answer, yes, Lord. Because if they know that Jesus is God's Messiah, they know that God had promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come, among other things, to, to heal, to, to give sight. the blind and so they say yes lord we we know we believe you are able to do this and so he touches their eyes and he says according to your faith let it be done to you and their eyes are opened. and so we see from these men the kind of attitude that we must have as we come to jesus the messiah and as we come in our blindness and in our sin jesus heals them we we see because they have faith Now, note that he doesn't necessarily heal them because their faith is so strong. They certainly do confess that that he is the son of David. That's showing strong faith. But then in verse 31, they immediately disobey his stern command. And that shows very weak faith. And isn't that, in a sense, a a picture of of our faith? Sometimes it's very strong. We We are sure that we believe we're ready to, to do whatever God asks of us and, and give up everything to follow him. And then sometimes it's like our faith is, is barely existent. We fail we to keep the, the most basic commands of the Lord. And when that happens, we might begin to panic. Is my faith actually strong enough? Surely God would, would not be pleased with someone who's, who's so weak and unreliable as, as I am. And there are even false teachers who play on this aspect of faith. And they say that, that God wants you to be healthy and, and wealthy and happy in life. If you, if you want to be healed from, from any of your sufferings, you just need to believe enough. If you aren't healed, it's because your faith is not strong enough. And if you don't have enough money, it's because you haven't shown enough faith by giving enough money to that teacher's ministry. But Jesus has never said that physical blessings, whether health or anything else, are dependent on the amount of our faith. And God has also never said that our salvation depends on the quality of our faith. Because that would mean that salvation is, in some sense, our work. And that's impossible. What God does say is that we do need to have faith. We do need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one sent by God. And to believe that he can give us spiritual sight. And that faith, as weak and shaky as it sometimes is, that faith is enough. And so, if your faith is up and down, unreliable, not as strong as you wish it is, does that mean you're not saved? No, it does not. And you never need to be afraid of that. But on the other hand, if your faith is unreliable and, and up and down, does it matter? Of course, it does. We are called to have strong faith. We are called to earnestly desire more and more to be like Christ. And so we are called to work hard to, to kill our sin, to be more obedient, more patient and loving throughout our life. But when we fail to get to that standard of faith that we wish we, we had, that we, well, that we really ought to have, we don't have to despair. Our faith is a gift from God and the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ and and confess our blindness and our sins and come to him is enough. And Jesus will heal us. He will make us see, even though we do not always live up to what we ought. And so, as we've seen, having healed these men, Jesus sternly warns, warns them, see that no one knows about it. And if you've read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus does this often. He often heals people, does things, and then tells them not to tell anyone about it. And we might wonder, why on earth does he do this? Especially when we are often encouraging each other to tell more people about Jesus. Are we wrong about that? Does Jesus not want us to spread the news about him? Why does he prevent it? Well, we can know, first of all, that Jesus is not against any news about him going out. We know that from our scripture reading. In verse 35, we read that Jesus himself went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and, and every affliction. So he's not trying to keep a low profile. He's, he's traveling around himself, trying to reach as many people as he can with the, with the gospel and the, and the amazing news about what he does. And second, he's not against people going he's not against all people going out and spreading the the news about him. Verse 37 and 38 make that clear. Jesus says that that there are so many lost people who who do not know about him, whom even he hasn't been able to reach, and and he needs more harvesters to go out and and spread the gospel of God's mercy to the blind in sin. There are so many blind and lost that that Jesus, being only one man, cannot reach on his own. And Jesus doesn't just want or plead for more harvesters. He, go, he does something about it. He goes out in chapter 10 and he sends 12 such harvesters, 12 people, to basically copy what he is doing. They're they told in verse 7 that they also have to proclaim the gospel of the, the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is, is near, that the Messiah, the, the son of David, has come. And he also gives them the same power that he has to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. And as the disciples do this, no doubt they'll be very quick to tell people that they're not doing this in their own strength and in their own name. They're they're doing this in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom the people need to trust and to believe in. And so Jesus is not against all news of him going out and all people spreading the news. What he is against is misleading news and wrong ideas. You see, when Jairus and his wife tell the story of what Jesus has done, the people will hear from them that Jesus is a miracle worker who who raises the dead. But because Jairus and his wife don't don't really know anything about who Jesus is and, and why he has really come, they will not be sharing the point of Jesus' miracles that everyone is dead in sin and that they all need to be made alive again by Jesus Christ. And the blind men, they will tell everyone about how Jesus has made them see. But they will not preach about how we are all spiritually blind in sin and Jesus can open the eyes of our heart. They may, they may even, these blind or well, these Men who were blind, they may even tell people that the Messiah has come. They clearly understand something about that. But when people hear that, they may well think of Jesus as a political Messiah whom they've all been waiting for, that the kingdom of earth has come near, and that Jesus will will lead a great revolution against the Romans and and bring an era of, of earthly prosperity. And then, having believed this misinformation, when Jesus does not live up to these expectations. When he instead shows himself as the, the true Messiah, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who the good shepherd who gives up his life for the lost sheep. They will reject him. And Jesus knows it's better that they don't hear about him at all than that they're thinking of him as, some, as the, the wrong kind of Messiah. And if they're expecting anything other than spiritual salvation from him, which is what we all really need. But the men do not understand all this. They think, why on earth would would Jesus want me to keep quiet about him? Or they're just so excited about the fact that they can see it. And everyone around them is asking them, how can you see now? And they have to spread the news about Jesus, so they think. And again, isn't that often like us? We, we know what God wants us to do. We, we know the commands in, in Scripture, but often His commands don't make sense to us. We think, they, why would God want us to do this in this situation? His, his commands don't work on this, this time. And so we ignore them, thinking that, that we know better. And, and God will understand, because our, our heart is in the right place. But God doesn't tell us that we will always understand why He tells us to do what he tells us. He just wants us to have faith, to to trust in him and in our Lord Jesus Christ, and then to obey. And that is the kind of strong faith that we are called to. And that takes us to our second point. Jesus heals our muteness. Story in verse 32 and following contrasts two reactions that people have to the Lord Jesus. His miracle again shows people clearly who Jesus is, if you have the, the eyes to see him. He has divine power. No human being has power over demons. Demons are much stronger than we are, and yet Jesus, when a demon-possessed man is brought to him, he, he casts out the demon. And this exorcism is more remarkable, perhaps, than most, because the demon had made the man mute, who knows for how long, maybe a long time. And so the exorcism has an an immediate effect. As Jesus casts out the demon, he also instantly heals his muteness, and the man begins to speak. Now, do notice, in this case, Jesus does not tell the man to keep quiet. The man had been mute for a long time, and to give him a voice to speak and then to forbid him to say anything about it seems unnecessarily cruel. And so the Lord Jesus did did not say that. And so there's there's a message in this as well for us. And that is to teach us how awesome it is what Jesus has done for us so that we can tell others. If we understand that Jesus has healed our spiritual blindness, our rebellion against God, our failure to see the obvious. And Jesus has also given us power over sin, even over demons. We in our own strength, we can't resist them, but in Christ we have the power to say no even to Satan and his temptations. And so Jesus also gives us the power to say something about it. Do we understand how awesome our healing is? If we were physically blind or mute and it suddenly was healed, we would no doubt want to tell others about it. But our healing from spiritual blindness and, and, and spiritual muteness is even greater. And we may not be the most gifted speakers in the world, but as Jesus heals our sin and our blindness, he also gives us a voice to speak about it. Not necessarily to preach in front of large crowds or even to speak very loudly, but we all have the ability to testify about God's work in our life and and what he has done for us. How Jesus truly has died for our sins, how he loves us, and how when we live our lives, we're doing it for him. And as Jesus does this for this man, heals his muteness and his demon possession, the crowds, they marvel. They realize that something awesome is going on with Jesus. They do not understand exactly what, but they do see something remarkable. They see that God's power is at work in him. But the Pharisees see the same thing. And they ascribe that power, rather than praising God, they they ascribe the power to cast out demons to Satan. And Jesus will later tell them in chapter 12 that this is a logical impossibility. Because Satan does not cast himself out If he did that, he would be defeating himself. And the fact that Satan is very much at work in this world with great power and cunning shows us that Satan is not so so silly as that. He does not work against himself. But the fact that the Pharisees see an obvious work of God and ascribe it to Satan shows their great stubbornness and rebellion. They have already chosen to reject Jesus. And it takes a very conscious and stubborn rebelliousness to do that when Jesus is right in front of you, that their hearts must be full of darkness and their thinking is futile as Romans 1 puts it. And so we see here that the Pharisees are the ones who are truly most blind. And, and we see that though they are physically able to speak, they may as well not. Their words are, are nonsense. And such blindness and unbelief is, is all around us today. But the saddest of all is when this comes from those who ought to know better. Those who were born into God's covenant and people, as the Pharisees were. But worst of all in this case is that the blindness and, and rebellion and stubbornness is, is coming not just from religious people, from God's covenant people, but it's coming from the leaders of Israel. The people are being led by wicked and stubborn and blind leaders, And that's tragic for God's people and leaves them in a desperate state. And that leads us into our last point as we see what the Lord Jesus does about it. Not for the first time in Matthew, in verse 35. He summarizes what Jesus does by saying that He goes throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And what He does by repeating this idea, it's also in chapter 4, is He's showing us that that this preaching and healing that Jesus does, it's not a temporary one-time thing. This is His full-time occupation. This is His ministry. He preaches and He heals. And Jesus, as he does this, says verse 36, he looks out over the crowds. These are crowds of people who, who marveled at his power in verse 33. But these are also crowds that have other times shown, shown sinful reactions, have, have feared Jesus' power, who have often refused to believe. These are crowds, as we've seen, who are, who are led by rebellious and, and wicked leaders. And as he sees these crowds, he also sees the, those in the crowds who are full of diseases and afflictions, and how many more people need to be healed. And he also sees so many people full of weak faith and full of sin. And as Jesus also, as looks over this crowd full of so many different people but so many suffering people, it says that he has compassion on them, for they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And from Jesus' words and actions, we learn at least two things. First, we learn compassion. Often, when we run into unbelief, when we keep coming against weak faith, or even misery, we sometimes do not have as much compassion as we ought. Sometimes, The misery of the people we meet, is self-inflicted. A lot of health struggles come from bad lifestyle choices. A lot of relationship problems come from from sin. A lot of sin is, is deliberate rebellion. And we look around us and we see a lot of misery, but we also see a lot of people reaping what they have sowed. And so maybe we're not overflowing with compassion for them. But if we can see that, then Jesus can surely see that all the more. He knows people's hearts. He knows how many of them were following him out of false motives. He knows how many of them were living in sin. He knows how many of them brought their misery on themselves. And yet he sees this misery and he has compassion. Even if it's self-inflicted, once we are in misery, we need help. When we are addicted to our sin, we are harassed by it. We're caught in sinful habits. We're often helpless to get out of it on our own. And how many people get themselves into misery by their own sin also do so because they're misled? How many of our sinful habits don't come because we're raised by sinful parents and we have sinful leaders and no one around us is is perfect? There's so few examples of sacrificial leadership. And as we sang in Psalm 4, so little true goodness in this world. And so how are any of us supposed to, to learn any better? And it was much worse for the Israelites because it wasn't just their, their secular leaders who lacked, who lacked compassion and, and who, who lacked faith and obedience. It was also their religious leaders who, who rejected Jesus. And so the people are sheep without a shepherd. And sheep, as you may know, are dumb and helpless and do not last long without a good shepherd. And so by these words, Jesus is calling us to to not write people off. Even if they're in the midst of their sin and misery, instead we ought to have compassion on them. But second, and even more important, Jesus doesn't just have compassion, he also does something about it. That's why he goes through the cities and the villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel. Because the gospel is the only answer for their sinfulness. The only way to get out of your sin addiction is by confessing it to God, admitting it to those who have hurt or to people who can help you. And the gospel of forgiveness in Christ will tell you to grieve over your sin and to repent of it in Jesus' name. And then it will tell you that all your sins have been forgiven in Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and whose salvation is yours when you trust in him. And then the gospel will teach you, therefore, to rejoice. And it will show you how to change your ways going forward to honor the Lord Jesus. And the gospel is also the only answer for any of your misery. Jesus will heal every disease and every affliction and every sorrow and every broken heart. One day, if not today. But as he shows in our text, he heals us when we trust him, when we believe he can do it. When we come to him as the, as the Messiah sent by God, as the good shepherd, and we submit to him. And there are so many people who are stuck in their misery, and in their blindness, and in their sin. And Jesus, as we've seen, he's only one man. He can't be everywhere at once in his human nature, and so he can't reach everyone. And so he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. And so that teaches us what we must do as we see so much sin and misery in the world. And as inspired by the Lord Jesus, as our hearts break with compassion for the suffering out there. What do we do? First, Jesus says we should pray. And don't just pray once, he says. Pray earnestly. Pray often. Pray that the gospel will go out into the world, into our own cities, into all the different ethnic communities, into the high-end suburbs and into the homeless encampments and everywhere in between. Prayer is the most important thing. But then we see how Jesus doesn't just bewail the the lack of gospel preachers, but he calls 12 of them and he sends them out. And so today the gospel preaching goes out into our communities and out into the world. And so we can support the, the work of the kingdom. We can give financially to the work of the church, to mission, to aid organizations, particularly those that, that combine material aid with people's physical sufferings and with gospel proclamation as well. And lastly, we may not be all trained preachers or, or trained missionaries or evangelists who go out and, and formally preach to people. But as we've seen, we do have everything that we need to know in order to tell others about Jesus. We know what He has done for us. We know how we once were blind, but now we can see. We know that, that we were unable to speak anything worthwhile, but now we can speak truth and love and righteousness. We know the gospel. And so, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we have compassion for the lost and miserable around us. And so we too can help the poor, the miserable, the blind, by giving our money, by giving our time, but above all, by keeping our eyes open for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not too many people today are going to ask you outright about, about your faith or your church. But we can look for chances to have deeper conversations, to move on from the weather or the latest hockey scores to something that, that really matters. And so out of our compassion in our hearts, we can ask the people who we, who we know, who we talk to regularly, how are you really doing? Is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Because spreading the gospel doesn't always start with spreading the gospel. It, it starts with compassion. Everyone you interact with is, is hurting. We are all suffering in some way or another. Most people around you are lost, harassed, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And our Lord Jesus Christ has the answer for them all, and he's taught it to us. And so let us go out with compassion in our hearts to help others, to help them with their immediate needs, but above all to share with them about the true good shepherd who has healed our blindness, taken away our sin, and given us something to shout and to sing about forever. Amen.